Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Take your Bibles, turn over to Colossians chapter 1. The question we're going to be considering today is, how can you know that you have been reconciled to God. Last week, we looked at the incomparable Christ, the great reconciler. And we saw over in Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, the following. Excuse me, beginning verse 21. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. You remember from last week I showed you a chart. And on that chart... We have God's anger was on us. We were estranged from God. Jesus reconciled us to God. And now we are holy. We are separated for God. We saw, secondly, that we were engaged in evil deeds. Jesus reconciled us to God. And now he says we are blameless without spot. Thirdly, we saw that we were God-haters. Jesus reconciled us to God, and now we are beyond reproach, and we are God-lovers. Well, how can you know that you have been reconciled to God? As you look at your life, are you holy? Are you blameless without spot? Are you above reproach? Well, as you look at your life, i got a feeling if you're like me, you say, well... No? Well, how do you know then you've been reconciled to God? You see, from God's perspective, you are positionally holy in Christ. You are positionally beyond reproach in Christ. You are positionally blameless in Christ. Because when God sees you, what He sees first is your position in Christ not the way you are in the world. And so in Christ, you are holy and blameless and beyond reproach. But let's face it, you and I cannot see from God's perspective. We see from the human perspective. And what you and I see when we look at our lives is we see a life that's not absolutely holy, that's not blameless, that's not beyond reproach. So how can you know then that you've been reconciled to God? Well, you say, preacher, I prayed a prayer and asked Jesus to come into my life. The Bible never says that you can know you've been reconciled to God because you've prayed and asked Jesus to come into your life. You say, but but preacher, I have been baptized. The Bible never says you can know you've been reconciled to God because you've been baptized. Well, I've joined the church. The Bible never says you can know you've been reconciled to God because you have joined the church. 
Well, I just feel it in my heart. The Bible never says you can know you've been reconciled to God because of any feeling that you have in your heart. In our passage today, Paul tells us the only way you can know if you've been reconciled to God. Over in Colossians chapter 1, we will begin reading in verse 23. All right, stand together in respect for the Word of God. And actually, to pick up the flow of the passage, I will begin in 21 again. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet... He's now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and for which our Paul was made a minister. Now rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'll do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, that is, the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has been, made, been manifested to his saints." to whom God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim Him, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. You may be seated. What Paul says to us today is, the person who has been reconciled to God will continue or persevere in his walk with the Lord until death. The only way you can know for sure you've been reconciled to God is you continue your walk with the Lord. Now, they may be a temporary time of backsliding. They may, may be a temporary time of falling back, but you will come back and renew that walk with the Lord. You will remain steadfast in your walk with the Lord until death. That's the only way to know. No other way. It's called perseverance of the saints. You say, but preacher, what about once saved, always saved? Well, I believe in that. Just like I believe in once reconciled to God, always reconciled to God. But how do you know if you're reconciled to God? You continue in the faith. How do you know if you're really saved? Once saved, always saved. If you're really saved, how do you know you're really saved? You continue to persevere in your walk with the Lord until death. In our passage today, we're going to see, first, the Christian's perseverance. And then we're going to see the divine preservation. And then thirdly, we're going to see God's means for our perseverance and His preservation of us. First, the Christian's perseverance. Paul says in verse 23, If 
Indeed, you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you've heard. Paul says, you can know you're reconciled to God if you continue steadfast in the faith. Now this in the Greek is called a first class conditional sentence, which basically means Paul expects them to continue in the faith. When he says, if indeed you do, the understanding that they had was he expects us to do it. It's like if you come over to my house and I say, well, you know, come over and, I, and we'll, have, uh, we'll have a meal together on Thursday. And so you show up on Thursday and I say to you, hey, welcome, come on in. Now, if you'll sit down and eat, you'll be satisfied. Now, I expect you to sit down and eat. That's why you came over. And indeed, you will be satisfied if you will sit down and eat. Paul says, Indeed, if you continue, and I expect you to continue. Now, the idea of perseverance is to persist. It means to continue even under extreme pressure or adversity. It's old-fashioned stickability. Hanging tough, no matter what the opposition. And we persist in our walk with God throughout our life. And Paul gives us two good word pictures in verse 23 to help us understand what he's talking about by persistence and perseverance. The first one is found in the words firmly established. Now, he is seeing the Christian as a building. Now, what's the key to the structural integrity of any building? It's foundation. Yeah, you've got to have a good foundation. And so this is what Paul is talking about. The Greek word here is a term used to describe a dug-in foundation, one that is entrenched, one that is cut in, one that is securely fixed. And so Paul says, I want you to be entrenched so that you're not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Again, the idea is that the forces of Satan are wanting to push these Colossian Christians away from the hope of the gospel. That the forces of Satan want to push you and I away from the hope of the gospel. And so it's the idea, again, of someone trying to push me back against this wall. That would be pushing me away from the hope of the gospel. Now, it would not be too awfully difficult for you to come up and push me back against that wall. It would mainly be my strength against your strength. If you were heavier than I was, stronger than I was, then you could probably move me back. But Paul says you are steadfast. You are firmly entrenched. All right. So if I entrench myself, say I come down here. Now, you try to push me back up against that wall, you're going to have more difficulty because I'm entrenched. Now, the second word he uses is the word steadfast. Now, the root of this word is the word seat, to be seated. And so Paul says not only are you entrenched, dug in, but you're also sitting down. Now, try to push me up against that wall. You're going to have a lot more trouble because not only am I entrenched, but I'm seated. I'm steadfast, Paul says. 
Back in the 60s, those of you who are old enough remember the sit-ins. And that was when people would just sit on the ground and block entrances, and they sat because it was a lot harder for the police to move them. They'd have to pick them up and carry them. Well, that's the same idea. Much harder to move someone who is not only entrenched, but is seated. And so Paul says, because you are entrenched in your faith, because you're seated securely in Christ, then I expect you to continue to persevere in your hope of the gospel. I don't expect anyone to be able to move you away from the hope of the gospel, no matter how much pressure they might apply to you, because you've been entrenched and because you're seated. Now, make, don't misunderstand me. It is not our perseverance that saves us. Rather, our perseverance shows that we are already saved. So it's not your perseverance that will save you. But what it does, it shows that you are saved. The Scripture continually exhorts Christians to persevere. It never says, okay, you're saved, so relax. You'll never lose it. No, it says, buddy, you persevere. That's the only way you can know for sure. Over in 1 John chapter 2, John talks about some who didn't persevere. And look at what he says. He says, they went out from us, in other words, they left the church, because they were not really of us. And no doubt these people had said they were saved. They had become a part of the church, but they did not persist. They did not persevere. John goes on to say, For if they had been of us, had really been born again, they would have remained. Now this word remain is the same root word for continue, persevere, persist. They would have remained with us. But they went out so that it was shown that they all are not of us. John says, look, because they didn't persevere, because they did not remain, it's obvious they were not really saved to start off with. Because if they had been, they would have continued in the faith. The early church continually exhorted Christians to persevere in the faith. Over in Acts chapter 11, the early apostles of the church heard that God was moving in Antioch. And they wanted to see for themselves, and so they sent Barnabas to check it out. Go see what's happening over there, Barnabas. We hear God's moving. Go and check it out. Well, Barnabas went to check it out. And in verse 23 of Acts 11, it says, And when he arrived and he witnessed the grace of God, in other words, he saw indeed God was saving them, he rejoiced. And began to encourage them all with resolute heart to do what? To remain true to the Lord. He says, man, you folks are giving evidence of being saved. Now continue to remain true to the Lord. Over in Acts chapter 13, 
We see when Paul and Barnabas were going on their missionary journeys and they came to Pisidian Antioch, look at what they said to those believers. Now, when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up and many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who was speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. Continue in your walk with God. Never say, well, I'm saved, I'll always be saved, doesn't matter how I live. The only way you know you've been reconciled is continue in the grace of God. And then when Paul and Barnabas were coming back through, returning to these places, they encouraged them some more in chapter 14. And after they preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Don't get sidetracked. Don't get pushed away from the hope of the gospel by your problems, by your troubles, by your tribulations. Continue steadfastly to walk with the Lord. Paul in his letters to the churches continually calls on Christians to persist in their walk with the God. Even when Paul's talking about his own life, what does he say? He says in Philippians 4, 1, excuse me, Philippians 3, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul never sat on his spiritual laurels and said, well, I made it once saved, always saved. Paul said, no, I continue to press on. I continue to persevere. Then in chapter 4, Philippians, he tells him, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Peter, when writing in his letter, also tells the Christians to stand firm. In 1 Peter 5, Through Silvanius, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I've written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Continue in the faith. The writer of Hebrews, writing to those Christians who were in danger falling away because of the pressure they were experiencing, tells them in chapter 12, Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us run with perseverance. Let us continue to continue on that race that is set before us. And so the Scripture clearly tells us that we must persevere in the faith. God calls on us as Christians to have a resolute determination of our wills that with every ounce of strength that is within us, we will continue in our walk with the Lord Jesus. 
That's what God's calling on you to do. To say with every ounce of strength, I'm not going to let Satan and all of his demons stop me from my walk with the Lord. I'm not going to let circumstances, I don't care whether I've got cancer, I don't care whether my loved one dies, I don't care whether everything in my life falls apart, I will not let that stop me from continuing in my walk with the Lord Jesus. With every ounce of strength within me, nothing, nothing in this life is going to deter me from my walk with God. That's the resolute determination that God is calling on us to have. Do you have it? Is this your commitment? This is not a convenient Christianity, is it? This is not one that says, well, as long as God makes everything happen good in my life, then, then I'll walk with Him. As long as everything's great, as long as He insulates me from all these problems and sicknesses, diseases, adversities, then i walk with Him. But if He ever lets me down, now this is the attitude that says no matter what, no matter what, my life can fall around me like Job's life fell around him, but I am committed with every ounce of my strength, with every cell in my body, I will walk with God and I will never stop. That's perseverance. Now, to balance that off, now let's look at the divine preservation. Because as much as God calls on you to have that kind of resolute determination, I want you to know that's not enough. That won't, you won't be able to do it in your own strength. But praise God, He's never called us to do it in our own strength. There is that divine preservation. You are able to persevere because God preserves you. It's that human and divine realities meeting together. That divine preservation is seen in verse 27 when Paul says, The mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul tells them in verse 23 not to be moved away from the hope of the gospel. Now, what is the hope of the gospel? It's the hope of glory, Christ in you. It's Christ in me that gives me that hope of being glorified. If it depended on me, I'd be in great trouble. But it's Christ in me. He's the one who will keep me faithful. He's the one who will preserve me. He's the one who will continue that work He has begun in me. It's Christ in me. He's my hope for glory. It's not in myself, but it is in Him. He is the reason we can have confident expectation of future glory with God. In fact, it's Christ who secures us. You see in verse 23 where Paul says, Indeed, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established... Now, that's a passive verb, firmly established. He doesn't say, if indeed you continue in the faith, having firmly established yourself. No, no. We've been firmly established. It's something that Christ has done for us. He has entrenched us. When He came to live within us, He secured us 
in our salvation. We see this divine preservation perhaps over the best place over in John chapter 10 of any place in Scripture where Jesus is talking about His followers as sheep. And He talks about just as a shepherd has his sheep protected and he will keep them in his flock, so Christ will keep his sheep and no one can take them away from him. In John 10, look at these verses. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never, never perish. That's a double negative in the Greek, never, never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now who in the world is powerful enough to snatch you out of the hand of the sovereign of the universe? But if that's not enough, Jesus goes on to say, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. The ultimate authority is in God the Father. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Now for somebody to snatch your salvation away from you, they would have to first of all overcome Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and then they'd have to overcome the Lord God Almighty. I say, that's an impossibility. And so the divine preservation is there. If we are truly reconciled to God, He will keep us preserved. And we're able to persevere because He preserves us. Alright, you following me? Now let's see how the Scripture beautifully blends these two concepts. The Bible says you are to stay faithful. You are to continue in your walk with Christ. But I want you to know, Christ is keeping you faithful. He's working in you. So the Scripture puts these two concepts beautifully together. It never says, well, just rest because Christ will keep you. Neither does it say, hey, man, you got to work and work and work because it depends all on you. No, it says work and work and work because Christ is keeping you saved. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, beautifully blend these together. Now, the red is our perseverance. The blue is God's preservation. Paul says, So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not in my presence only, but much more now in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, that's something we're called on to do. Work out our salvation. Doesn't mean we're earning it. That means we're working out what God has worked in. That means grow into spiritual maturity. Continue in your walk with Christ. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I think the fear and trembling means in total dependence upon God, realizing, man, this is an awesome responsibility to work out my salvation. But then he goes on to say, It is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Yeah, you work it out, but I want you to know God's working in you to enable you to work it out. So you see the beautiful blend of 
our perseverance and His preservation. We see it also in Colossians chapter 2. Where Paul says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Hey, you've received Christ by faith. Now you need to continue to walk in faith. That's your responsibility. That's your perseverance. But then he goes on to say, Having been firmly rooted. Who do you think firmly rooted you? And now being built up in Him. And established in your faith. Just as you were instructed in overflowing with gratitude. We're to walk in Christ. But you need to realize it's God who's firmly rooted you. And who has established you in your faith. And then over in Romans chapter 15. We see this blend again. Paul says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction." so that through the perseverance and encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. We're called on to get into the Word of God, and through the encouragement and perseverance of the Scriptures, we are to have hope. But look at what he goes on to say. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. You persevere, God gives you the perseverance. So we have a beautiful blending of the two. So how can you know you've been reconciled to God? Because you continue in the faith. You continue to persevere until death. Now let's move to God's way, God's means to our perseverance and His preservation. What are some of the ways that we can make sure we persevere? First, we see in verse 28, Paul says, We proclaim Him, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete, mature in Christ. First, The preaching of the Word. The preaching of the Word is one of God's means to to help you continue in your faith. That's why it's important for you to be here on Sunday morning. This is not just something you do if you don't have anything better to do. God has ordained the preaching of the Word as instrumental in you continuing in your walk with Him. One of the means, the main means He's ordained to keep you preserved for your preservation is the preaching of the Word. Whether you feel like coming or not, you need to be here because of what it does for your faith. How it helps you to continue in your walk with Christ. Secondly, He says admonishing. This word literally means to put in mind. It means to remind people of God's truth. And look what Paul says over in the third chapter of this book. He says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. I believe... The primary way God uses admonishing in our day 
is in our small groups, our life groups. Meet on Sunday morning, meet at night during the week. This is where Christians get together and we can admonish, we can remind each other of spiritual truth. We see a brother moving in a certain direction he shouldn't go into. We can bring to his mind the truth of God to bring him back. So the life groups are one of the means God uses to keep you in the faith. Also, he says teaching. The teaching of the Word of God is another way that God uses to keep us in the faith. And then I think personal Bible study and prayer. You remember over in Romans 15 we saw where he says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and encouragement of the Scriptures we may have hope. So your personal time in the Word during the week is important to help you persevere in your walk with Christ. That brings us full circle. How do you know that you've been reconciled to God? How do you know? If you look at your life, you're not going to see absolute holiness. You're not going to see a blameless life. You're not going to see a life beyond reproach. But if you are continuing in your walk with Christ, you are pressing on, desiring to glorify Him in all you do and say, then that is the evidence that you indeed have been reconciled to God. And so you can say, today, today, I give evidence that I'm saved. But tomorrow, you need to continue in order to give evidence. You can't rest on yesterday's walk with God. It's renewed every day. Let's pray. Father, give us that grace to persevere. Thank you for your preservation of us in the beloved Lord Jesus. May we never take that truth of your preservation as an excuse to relax in our perseverance. But may we continue faithful unto death. In Jesus' name.